three, two, one, and we're live. So Kamini, thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, this is the Creative Summer Podcast, and you are the master of creativity. <laughs> I've, I've been wanting to interview you for, for ages. I think I've messaged you loads of times, so I'm so grateful that we're finally able to do this. And I wanted to read your bio out. I don't think anyone doesn't know you, but... I'm sure there are people. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for those that um, don't, um, here's a little bit about Rukmini. Rukmini Potter is an artist, designer, and illustrator living in NYC. We got to change that. Are you living? No, at this moment I'm in I'm in Florida. Okay. Yeah. So living Thank in you. Florida. <laughs> her creative passion lies at the intersection of emotional wellness and creative storytelling. She is also a self-proclaimed hundred-day project artist, which we're going to talk about today, mm -hmm. and the author of the book Hundred Obscure Emotions. And you've also published other things. You, you have a calendar, which is hanging on my wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I recently have published my card deck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. She believes what is most personal is most universal. The sooner we realize how alike we are, the more we can create a culture of empathy and personalism. She draws regularly and posts on her Instagram at Rocking Rukshi. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about the name of your Instagram channel. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, technically it's Rockin' Rooksy, but people say in all kinds of ways. They say Rockin' Rusky, they say Rockin' Whatever. <laughs> um, I made this handle like probably, I don't know, like 10 years ago, just as like a funny little joke. <laughs> and it, if I ever thought my platform would become something, I probably would never ever kept it that but it just is what it is at this point. Rooksy is my childhood nickname. And I think I had a Tumblr, if anyone remembers Tumblr from back in the days, I had yeah. a Tumblr called Rockin' Rooksy, which was like a joke. And then I made my Instagram Rockin' Rooksy. And I remember when I got like 5,000 followers, I was like, I can't change my handle now. Too many people follow me. And I just kept saying that. And now I'm like over 100K. And I was like, I just can't change it at this point. It's too late. It's just Rockin' Rooksy. That's okay. <laughs> I guess I'm pronouncing it the Sanskrit way with this sort of a ksha kind of feel. Which I guess is, is very proper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to talk to you about what you just said because I have 3,000 followers mm. and I have an, a really beautiful community here in the UK, which you know about. And I struggle to keep up with people. And, and now I fully understand why Jonavi doesn't respond to my message. <laughs> but but I, I have no idea what your life is like. Um, 100K followers, that's a lot. How do you keep in touch with mm. like even 10% of them? Yeah, well, I have a lot to say about this in social media. I can say, honestly, the 100K is like straight up an illusion. It's such a, we live in such a, especially with social media, like numbers are important. You're a certain status if you're a number. I'm really grateful for all the people who follow me. And I've really worked very hard to build that. And I've done it organically and it's hundreds of hours over many years. And I'm definitely grateful and proud of that. But at the same time, 
you know, it's like 1% of that actually engages with me. And these algorithms are constantly changing. There was a time, maybe a year or two years ago, where I had a huge engagement. Like I would post pictures, I would get 10 to 20,000 likes. Now my images get 100 to 200, you know, it's like massive decrease. So that can really mess with people's heads too, to like build this following. And then you wonder like, do people not like me anymore? Or maybe they're just not seeing us anymore. Um, I also believe that the world is so saturated with images and media that even if we're producing amazing things and I see what you're, it's so meaningful, but I just wonder like, who even has the attention span of more than 15 seconds to even pay attention? It's pretty sad. So, you know, the, the world of media is so, it's really changing a lot and it can be kind of depressing to just constantly keep up with it and very exhausting. And like you said, how do I keep up with people? Like I open Instagram and it's like a vortex. Like at this point I should know better, but you just get sucked in. And at one point it's like, you have to tear yourself away because your eyes are like burning or something. But the point is media and all these stuff are constantly changing and we can get really high sometimes when it's high and really low sometimes when our engagement drops. Um, but what I'm just trying to teach myself now is just keep creating, whether 200 people like it or 2,000 or 20,000. That's, and we'll talk about it, that's what the 100 Day Project for me is about. And it's a constant journey. There's been times in my life where I've had a lot less people following me and I feel so much more creatively free. And then there's times where I jumped up 60,000, 70,000, 80,000 followers, and I just felt so much more stifled and scared because it's like, what do I create now that everyone will love? So a lot can be said about this. I think it's a real new time in history and very new for artists and creators to be seen by so many people. Um, it's not normal. <laughs> it affects our creative process. There's goods and it also harms us. You know, it's helpful and harmful. Yeah, there's just, I just feel like more people need to talk about it and be more aware because we just live life as if this is normal to like see thousands of images each day and, and to produce wondering how thousands of people will like you. It's really bizarre and I'm, I'm waiting for the day that we can come in closer community and just be more personal with each other. What you read earlier in my, my bio, I really, something I strive for, it's hard to have that personalism with each other. It's a very long answer for your question. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And I love how you were talking about how saturated social media yeah. is. And here you are trying to get more people to use it with a hundred day project. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's a paradox, isn't it? I, I asked myself the same thing. Like, Am I just a big hypocrite at this point? Um, well, you know, I mean, I mean, short answer is yes. I think more people can use it through the hundred day project, but it's less about the social media and more about their creative process. The yeah. social media is a tool for using it. But I will be 100% honest, my views on social media have changed in the, just in the last five years. Five years ago, when I was doing the 100 Day Project, if you asked me, like, what's your relationship with social media? How does it work for you? I would say, hey, you know, it can, it can suck you in, but it's a tool. And if you learn to use it properly, like, you know, I've experienced through the 100 Day Project, it's so empowering, it brings people together. Um, I do feel like it's kind of watered down. It's not the same. Even five years ago, I, you see a lot more ads, you see a lot more just like, self-promotion and, and a lot more competition and um yeah. now i kind of have a different approach if people want to do the 100 project it's like social media is great for accountability but you don't have to um a lot of people do the 100 day project and they kind of get a little like you know scared about posting online or feel that people don't notice it anyway all that's to say that yes it can be a tool but even i am noticing that in the last short, short few years it's changing a lot and i'm noticing i can't I can't unsee how unhealthy it is 
And at the same time, I can't stop using it. So it's a weird thing to be in. I want to stop using it, but of course I'll justify it by saying it's for service, it's for my brand, and those are all good, but I still am constantly aware of, of the harmful effects. So I'm also in a weird place if I use it, but I try to be kind of uh, vigilant about how I use it, but it's still hard. So basically I'm a hypocrite, but I am aware of my hypocrisy and I'm, I'm trying to navigate it. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking of two things as, as you were saying that I'm remembering the time when you joined us for our book club at the, uh, the Bhaktivedanta Manor. Oh, yeah. We had this beautiful presentation together. And, and that was really great. And I remember um, asking you about the 100 Day Project. Yeah. And, and I was telling you, my problem is I post too much and I don't really think about what I'm posting. And then I constantly delete everything on my social media. Oh. I was having like this crisis moment. And you're like, maybe your 100-day project should be off of social media. And that that should be what you should work on. Did I tell you that? I think so. Something along those lines. Yeah. Maybe maybe you didn't say the 100-day project right. should be off. But you, you were like, spend more time off of social media. And I've definitely been doing a lot more of that through the artist's way. Just like, oh, cool. like, I would say now, before I would only write for Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. Now I'd say like 1% of my writing goes on Instagram. Like everything wow. just goes to myself and like my improvement. So oh, I would so yeah, be so curious that that journey for you, because there's something so interesting about creating art for public eyes and then creating art for private eyes to the point where we forgot, forget what it means to create art just for our private selves. How has that been for you? I think, um, you know, we're, we're always scared of judgment on social media, but I think mm. our biggest critique is actually ourselves. Mm. And, and what I like about just writing for myself is that I don't, um, it's, it's sort of an exercise to stop judging and criticizing myself. And Julia Cameron sort of calls it free writing, where you're just writing mm. to write. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, um, the other way I see it actually is, uh, I remember watching this interview of Ed Sheeran, and he was talking about the 10,000 hour rule in terms of uh -huh. uh, writing songs and, and uh, mm. practicing guitar. And he was talking about turning on the tap and letting all the dirty water, I guess this oh, metaphor wow. works better in India where you like pump yeah. and muddy water coming out. <laughs> so yeah, like all the, let all the dirt come out, all the stuff that you think is really, really great. And then mm -hmm. you can offer something to the world. So I, those were just my mm. thoughts, but I don't know if you've had a similar experience. That's so nice. Yeah, no, that's just beautiful and so true that, um, that self-judgment is so prevalent in us and something about releasing it is, is so healing. And also, like you said, there's so much muddy water and that's just part of the process. But when we don't allow that to run, we feel like, why am I not coming up with the most amazing things right now? And we're just so impatient with ourselves. It's like, release the muddy water, like go through the process. So yeah, I can really relate with that. Um, we're, we're such a culture of just result oriented rather than process oriented. Everything is about getting to the finished product right now. And I think these tools, Artist Way and 100 Day Project, 
They're so good because it's all process oriented. Like do the process, show up every day and see what happens, how you transform. Forget about the result. That's like secondary. So that's what draws me to that. That's all this stuff in the creative process. Um, it's actually magical when you kind of approach it in that way. But again, we're so trained and conditioned that it's, I need to do a beautiful painting. I need to write. I need to have this many followers. It's so result-based. Like, no wonder people are dissatisfied and, and feel empty. You know, if that's all you're chasing, it's just never going to satisfy you. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about what you were saying in terms of spirituality as well. Uh, we've grown up mm -hmm. in, a, in the bhakti community, and I feel that oftentimes we can also be heavily result-oriented. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and always think about, oh, when will I get that, you know, mm -hmm. whatever that is, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And one one thing that I've really enjoyed doing over 2020 with the whole pandemic thing, I was living in a house of a, a mindfulness teacher, uh, you know, coming mm -hmm. from like Buddhist practices. And it's something that I never really delve into. And so I started to look at some of those teachings. And then I read this book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And then I'm also kind of into climbing. So uh, a famous rock climber made a similar book, uh, like the, the Way of the Peaceful Warrior, but just for rock climbers. And he was saying something really interesting. He was saying that if when you're rock climbing, you're thinking about reaching the top of the mountain, you're probably going to fall off and die, <laughs> which is literally wow. the truth. Um, what you need to do is focus on that little finger grip that you're you're holding mm -hmm. on then your toe then the next uh, hold and then if you focus on that little bit you'll get through that and then you'll be able to slowly progress so i thought mm -hmm. that was really interesting as well to like switch wow. from result to like process totally that's such a great analogy there's something about that that's just so I can already feel my body just like feeling a little like reassured, you know, because we just feel tense when we think of like, where is this leading me towards? I want to see the end of the mountain. But like, you know, even at this moment, like, hey, you're talking to Baller. I'm OK, one word at a time. You know, like we just get so ahead of ourselves. So that I think it just applies to everything in life. It's really nice. Again, with the 100 day project, what will my 100 days look like? It's like, no, what, what are you doing today? What, where are you? What are you drawing right now? And yeah, I think living life like that is, is really satisfying. Mm. <laughs> I want to ask you about um, a, a little bit about growing up in the bhakti community, because I think with a lot of, um, I, I think wherever you grow up, whatever family you come from, culture, tradition, <clears throat> excuse me, religion, you can feel like, oh, I really love these teachings, but I don't feel, you know, I feel a little bit shy to share them with the world, or I actually have trouble with these teachings. Mm -hmm. uh, let me try and, and understand that experience that I've gone through my childhood. So I wonder, growing up in this bhakti community and then being a part of the bhakti center in, in New York and, and also sharing quite actively, what was your experience of experiencing that and then sharing that with the world through your art mm, like my yeah how does that show up in, in my life uh, the background of growing up in bhakti growing up as a Hare Krishna 
I feel mm. like in many times a closeted Hare Krishna. <laughs> I'll kind of be like, yes, I grew up in this tradition, bhakti yoga. And it's like, just say you're a Hare Krishna. It's very hard for me. It's definitely very much in the closet. <laughs> I, I mean, probably like many kids who have grown up as Hare Krishnas or in this bhakti tradition, you kind of feel like you live dual lives. And maybe this is for people who grew up in different kinds of cultural traditions. You have your tradition, your culture, you dress a certain way, you eat certain things, you have a certain kind of rules and morals you 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 live by and principles you live by and spiritual teachings um, and a very like, you know, tight-knit community, which I think I've always loved. Like there's just something so beautiful about it, the colors, the music, the food, it's all like amazing, really. And so that, as even as a child, I knew that was amazing. But it was always hard to translate that to the real world, you know, like once you leave your little bubble and away yeah. your comfortable bubble and you go to high school, middle school, whatever, you don't know how to share that side of yourself or you feel really self-conscious or you are put down for, for the culture that you kind of grew up in. So I think me, like many others, just kind of learned to live those dual lives in a way, you know, there's Rukmini the Hare Krishna girl, there's Rukmini at school doing other things, and, um, you know, I always look up to people who can really integrate them well, I, and I think it's a journey for everyone, um, you know, we both know Janavian, and I always kind of am in awe of how she is so authentically herself, and, and just shares everything with so much integrity, and shares her herself, her spiritual background, and is just so appealing for people, and I think it takes work of like navigating who you are and coming to terms with what bhakti means for you. Um, I like to tell people though, for me, I think art has been something that's always been a part of my life and it's kind of evolved more. And I even went to school for art and graphic design, but um, you know, that re that ex expression, I think is a real integration of my like spiritual background and my other self, you know, the two selves coming together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why it's very meaningful for me. And, and hopefully why, why you know, it it's, uh, touches other people's hearts, um, especially like these illustrations on emotions and these projects I've been doing, especially the last five, six years. Yeah. I think that that is some kind of like integration of these two sides because I try to make it very approachable, universal. Anyone can pick it up and appreciate it. But it's so much coming from my own kind of understanding of philosophy and love and bhakti and the Bhagavad Gita and I I think it informs my drawings to a certain extent just it's never overtly nothing is overtly religious or spiritual but you know I post things about deeper subject matters like I think just yesterday I posted this little like storyboard comic about the burning question mm -hmm. um, which I was inspired by Sachin Sami, who if, if you don't know is a, a incredible bhakti teacher and you know like a spiritual mentor of mine and you know, he recently spoke about like, what is this burning question we live in? And I just love that so much. And I, I like that I can just pick things out and then kind of turn it into a piece of art that anyone can look at and, and start to ask, what are these burning questions in me? But I guess that's what to, to say, you know, my background is something that I am so grateful for and really informs my art, but that doesn't mean there's some navigating, how do I integrate these two? And I think especially as a young person and a teenager, we're really kind of navigating and trying to figure out how to put that together. Thank you so much for that. I, I really appreciate mm -hmm. everything you said. And I guess where, where I was coming from was I grew up in different extremes. Like uh, I was, yeah. I was in, in the Gurukul, which is kind of a monastery in, in India. 
totally. for nine years and it was like this is what we do like no question like one that, end of the spectrum, other end of the spectrum end, yeah. Yeah. and then I moved to London and I'm working and and also sharing spirituality in the corporate sphere and it's mm. like the com not the complete opposite but um very different you know yeah <laughs> it feels like another extreme and um and as as I was setting up the creative sangha uh I was thinking about the things that I love I love watching films, which is something we never did in, in, uh, in the monastery where I grew up. We didn't even have a phone. Yeah. A and then being in London, it's like, you're just watching movies and on Instagram all day, which is yeah. the opposite of that. I was like, okay, what's the balance between living a life, but also doing what I love. And, uh, and, and that sort of became the tagline of creative Sangha, sharing what we love. And I was like, mm -hmm. I actually love wearing bundies more than t-shirts. Mm -hmm. I love uh, some of Christian's pastimes more than some of the Marvel films that I watch. <laughs> How can we make some, some Christian conscious stories? How can we share a little bit about that? That's not mm -hmm. so, um, uh, yeah, so popular in the world. And I guess that comes full circle to the question of if we love something, does everyone else have to love it too? That's that's mm. the question because I guess if, if I'm looking maybe 10 years down the line, if I'm you know making a film with Disney for say, mm -hmm. there's people putting money into that and they want the whole world to watch it. So it's like mm -hmm. you you have to think about the balance of the, the creativity and doing what you love. This is the story you really wanna share but also making it relatable and, and in such a way that, that people will actually enjoy the experience. Mm. Could you talk a little bit about doing what you want and also doing something uh, for someone else and, and trying to please them in that way? Mm, How do you get wow. that balance right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, these are great questions, but I'm, I'm very impressed. <laughs> They're very thoughtful. Um, <laughs> You know, it's so, uh, to make art for others and make it for yourself, it's such a good question because um, I think the creative process is both a service for others, like it's it's supposed to be something shared for upliftment of others, and yet it's something so deeply personal that kind of nourishes us. And so even as you're saying like, okay, like Bundy's more than t-shirts and Christian stories more, it's so nice and so personal, and like you said, um, well, you have to water that down to get other people to like it, you know? Mm. Um, I always feel like there has to be some element of both. And I guess when we talk about the morning pages and the artist's way, so much of that is like that self-nourishment, you know, every morning you do that journaling for yourself. So I think there is some element of uh, like, you know, sadhana, like creative sadhana in a way, you know, like mm. if, if you're following bhakti or spiritual practice, you have your beads and you chant japa and you meditate and that is for yourself and then you go out into the world and share so i think i honestly think creativity might be something similar like whether you're just writing or you're creating some story like do something like that's deeply personal that doesn't have to be shared with the world because again we live in a world where everything we do needs to be shareable i mean like instagram story my journal today it's so natural but like there's something about that that we gotta just do for ourselves and then and then allow to translate that for others. But um, yeah, I think sometimes if we're only creating for others, it can 
kind of feel a little diluted and we kind of lose that sense of like, what am I, what is my voice? What is my, you know, who am I as an artist? What do I want to say, you know? So that's kind of my, my little bit of answer that there needs to somehow be both. But I feel like there's other artists who do this really well. And again, I'm wondering, John, if you would be a, pers a good person to ask, you know, um, and I had a similar conversation with her and we talked about, you know, the, she's had this great term rasa theory and she said kind of like in the vedic paradigm of an artist they were someone who would um rasa is like feeling and when they mm -hmm. performed or they showcased their art it was to evoke this kind of feeling in others and therefore uplift the whole group something like that it was really beautiful a spiritual way to see an artist like as a conduit really and when you can really um yeah, I guess be from a place that's so deeply genuine, there is a way of really uplifting. But I don't think you can do that unless you're really connected, you know what I mean? So there's like an integrity of like, I can't really show up and make art that's actually gonna be of service and uplift people unless I'm doing that for myself, something. So I see that in whether it's people like Jonavi or others who, you know, their art is their life. There, there's something deeply connecting about it and it's something about it's like an integrity, if that makes sense. If yeah. I'm not, living to certain values and I'm still drawing about them, it's not somehow going to have that same effect. So um, yeah, when I see artists live that way, it's very inspiring because it's not just a performance. It's literally there, whether even for me, if I'm drawing emotions, I have to be thinking about it. I have to always be kind of in a space of introspection. Um, and when I am, it actually benefits the art more. So I guess what I'm seeing is your life is your art. And if you live your life deeply, that will come out in your art. And if you're not really maybe it won't come out in your art as much. Wow. I I was thinking about um, this, this one thing that you said about Rasa really touched me. And I was thinking about something that we started at the Creative Sangha, which is a little book club, just continuing mm. what we did at the Manor, but over Zoom. And uh, we're reading The Glorious Life of Nartam Das Thakur now. Nice. And and he he was a saint uh, similar to Saint Francis who like just dedicated his life to God like one hundred percent everything was for God, but in his writings his poetry his songs, you can see how personal it is and he's always talking about his life his experiences, and it seems like it's one hundred percent for someone else in his mm -hmm. case God and also 100% about himself. So it seems like he yeah, got that right balance. That just came wow. up, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's great, it's a great example. But I wanted to ask you, um, and I think this is a good segue, uh, as we try to share ourselves with the world, I think it's quite important to first of all, understand ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things that really put the spotlight um, for me on you, was your whole work on the Enneagram. I absolutely mm -hmm. loved everything that you oh, did there. Thank you. And uh, I actually, uh, again, we're, we're speaking a lot about Jonavi, but I didn't do my Enneagram <laughs> test until Jonavi said, I think you're a type seven. And I was like- She said oh. that? Yeah. <laughs> is that what you think your type is, the seven? So I did, I did the test and I'm a type seven. So she guessed really mm. correctly. I, I have a different guess, but that's okay. interesting. What do you think? My guess was a three. Okay. But they're similar. They're similar. They could easily be misinterpreted. I think, um, you know how the Enneagram test works. It's like 
you're 50 percent seven yeah. and you're 40 so i think it was like seven five three for me or something mm, like that interesting um but I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna think about that <laughs> yeah let's give it a thought enneagram is very tricky because it's so it's actually very hard to type ourselves because okay. so much is about human motivation that we're not aware enough to type ourselves. So we can, I mean, I had my type wrong for years before I, I actually landed on my type. I thought I was a nine for years. And then other people are like, nope, not, not a nine. Not anyway, a I, I, <laughs> what was that? You're no, I mean, no, that's, I definitely, <laughs> it's funny. We can behave like other types sometimes if we're kind of conditioned in that environment. Okay. Anyway, I, I I will go too much into I can have a whole like couple hours talking just about the Enneagram. But um yeah, there there's so much there. It's a very rich system. <laughs> and I have to try not to be one one flaw I have is I I type people like I just did with you. <laughs> it's not good. You have to let people figure it out or do their thing. I can't um anyway, that was my bad. I should not have done that. That's <laughs> yeah, completely fine. Actually, I'm very intrigued about that. So I'll be looking that up. <laughs> but um, can you tell me a little bit about your um process and, and your understanding of the Enneagram and why you think it might be useful to, mm. to find out about yourself through that process? Yeah, so if for anyone who's not familiar, the Enneagram is just a very powerful personality typing tool if that makes sense if you're familiar with myers-briggs and all these other kind of personality tests you can think of the enneagram like that but it's actually in a very different category of its own it was um it was actually right now if you search enneagram you'll see a lot of cool fun kind of like posts and and you know um tests and things like that but it has very deep roots in spirituality like from 100 years ago or more, it was used by monks in a monastery to understand um, their egos, to transcend it, to connect with their deeper essence. So it has that. And, and I think for the last like 30, 40, 50 years, it's been really big in the Christian community. So it's been used actually as a spiritual tool for um, really understanding this, our ego type, which is amazing. So I studied the Enneagram with Rasna and Hari Prasad from New York, my teachers in this, and they are incredible. They're just phenomenal. And they've known, like studied this, done this work. They do it with corporates, with people, with teams all over the world for like the last 10 years. And they discovered it when they were monks in a monastery and they saw it also as a spiritual tool. Um, and that's kind of the way also they teach it. So I've just been so amazed because the Enneagram, unlike other personality typing tool, it's less about how you behave and how you act, but like, what is your deepest, uh, motivation what motivates you what is like your deep-rooted fears and desires and according to the Enneagram there's nine base types and they all have very specific kind of like lenses in which they see the world um, and so if you can understand and we're all made up of all nine we have all the energies in us but one kind of fits a little bit better if that makes sense and what it's saying is that we are we have a very specific ego structure and the whole idea is that we're not the ego anywhere, we're the spirit soul, but we are conditioned, we have this ego. And if we can understand how that ego works, it can just open up whole doors of self-awareness. We can catch ourselves kind of, you know, we have habitual patterns, we have certain fixations, certain things that we just literally will live our whole life and be unaware of. And so when I discovered the Enneagram and I went through their whole workshop and everything, it's literally like getting a blueprint of your psychology and understanding. And it's it's actually confronting because they say when you find out your yeah. type, it's supposed to sting. 
So that's why sometimes when people are like, I'm this type, yay. I'm like, you know, you're not that type because if it doesn't sting, can no. I, I just add to that? What, yeah. When I read the whole, I, I think there's like 14 pages on, on, on the type seven and the five and the three. And then there was the other mm. test. I was actually depressed for a couple of days. Oh, really? Like, Why did I read this? this oh, no. In my life, like I just, I was reading about myself in a way that I had never done so. Mm. And, and I was really depressed. So I, I so that might be accurate then. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because it's, I mean, every type is like, when they're at higher levels of consciousness, they are amazing. They, they all have such unique special gifts and they are incredible and inspiring. And then the whole point is that we go up and down our consciousness, you know, kind of like the idea of the three gunas when we're in, you know, sattva, you know, this kind of higher consciousness, we embody a lot more good qualities. And when we go lower, um, those kind of negative shadow sides come out. So, you know, every type has a certain like virtue and a certain sin, at least as the Christians kind of have have created that. Um, yes, it's very fascinating. So seven is so interesting because on one hand, sevens are just internally optimistic and joyful and hope giving and light. They make the best kind of friends. They're spontaneous, love to travel, like so many wonderful things. And then the other side of the seven is that they are um, in deep fear of pain and their thing is all about running away from what is painful in life. And they do that through exciting, wonderful things, but that motivation is, is running away. Um, so anyway, we all have that as a four. You know, fours are all about depth and identity and expression and emotions, um, but it can also lead to a place of like deep self-absorption and envy and Anyway, I'm, I'm going too much into it, but all that to say, um, the, the Enneagram is heavily impacted. I think the way I look at my work, the way I, I see the world, I'm really grateful to it because I feel like before I knew about the Enneagram, I had done that 100 Obscure Emotions project where I drew different emotions every day for 100 days. And um, I feel like I had an intuitive understanding of emotions. And then I found the Enneagram and it was kind of like, oh, all this is in a framework, like a proven research-based framework um, that, that I can study. So it's kind of like what I already intuitively felt about emotions, I just went a lot deeper into it and that there was already some creative framework that I could really understand what makes people tick, what, what are they afraid of, what do they feel? Wow, wow, thank you for sharing. <laughs> I could go on. It's it's ridiculous. Oh, okay. Anytime that someone asks me about the Enneagram, it's just too much comes out. <laughs> Not to say that I'm a master. I know tons. I actually don't. But what I do know, I think, has just been very impactful and inspiring for me. Yeah. I, I, again, this family that, that I lived with for six months, bang on in the middle of the Lake District. Mm. Um, so the the wife, Andrea, she became sort of my mindfulness teacher. And then mm. her husband, Ian, He's like a management consultant for the public sector. So he helps the mm. government and different things. And he used the Enneagram in, in most of his okay. workshops, especially on one-to-one -on -one when he's dealing with a director of um, energy for Manchester, for example. He would go through the Enneagram and really try to understand that person before giving any advice at all about how to work with his team, et cetera. And, uh, and, and he made this little chart, I'll send it to you later, but it's, it's really oh, cool. fascinating. So I, I got to, to study for, from that perspective as well. So 
I really love that. Nice. And and I was I was wondering, I think this is a good segue to talk about your story. Um, I think it's it's nice to show all the glamorous things on social media. Mm. But I, I want to hear about some of your growing pains <laughs> with some mm. of those dark moments. Well, like how difficult has it been from where you started to where you are now I can imagine at least for myself there are sometimes weeks on end where I can't do anything at all Mm. and you just don't feel like putting anything out Um, even though when I do put things out I feel really fulfilled like I'm like yes I'm sharing something nice with the world Um, yeah I I would love to hear your story and and how you sort of perfected your craft slowly I know you uh, artists that was a work in long. progress yeah <laughs> but um it's it's just so beautiful to see your art right now and, and I would love to hear a little bit more about some of those struggles that you've been through to get mm. to where you are yeah if you're okay with sharing that <laughs> I am I mean to be honest part of me wants to be like I feel like the part where I struggle has yet to come not in a bad way but it's just like I'm sure that there will be a lot more and I say that because I have let, led a very kind of protected, secure life in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, I do feel uncomfortable actually stating that because I, I create artwork about heavy emotions and I feel like I have felt it in small degrees, but you know, whenever people go through like real stuff, like, like people losing family members and going through depression and anxiety, um, I feel like I can sympathize or empathize in a way and, and understand and, and draw upon that. but you know, it, it's, I don't think I've gone through any like dark night of the soul or really heavy depression or anything like that. Um, but that being said, you know, emotions are such a funny thing and feeling something very small, I think I can feel it very big, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like with a, a, a breakup of a relationship or something small, small, I think in those moments, there's been a lot of uh, being sensitive, feeling, feeling for that. Um, I <laughs> I think my life has been one where I'm just kind of taking the unpaved road, if that makes sense. And I think in that come definitely moments of uncertainty. What am I doing? You know, I went to a design school and right after that, I decided to go like live in the temple at the Bhakti Center while all my you know classmates got all these cool jobs in New York and LA. And so, um, there's definitely a lot I think a lot of times of self-doubt of like what am I really doing or like I'm just a girl living at her parents home right now like doing some online stuff like like anyone who thinks I got it together is totally wrong you know so at least that comes up for sure um and yeah you know I, I do think that art has just been helpful though and just processing and understanding things and understanding my life but um I can't say any super specific, like, you know, not to say that I haven't had challenges, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just struggle to say it because when it when I sit, compare it, it's like, that wasn't a challenge. You know, how can you even say mm-hmm. that? Um, you know what? You know, I do live. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's interesting how in the Western teachings, it's all about you have to experience life. And and the Easter teachings are more about learning through hearing Mm -hmm. and maybe as a second place, learning through seeing. 
and mm-hmm. and I'm grateful that I've learned a few things through hearing like I've never gotten into drugs or things like that mm-hmm. so I'm really grateful about that and and perhaps a lot of your art has come through that sort of learning as well mm-hmm. not having to experience it yourself would you say yeah that's a nice way to put it for sure you know to be fully honest there's definitely some shame that comes in not experiencing because it's just so part of our culture to feel like i haven't lived if i haven't even the bad things like okay i had a few like i experienced a few breakups and like heartbreaks that's sad but i haven't experienced this i haven't done anything crazy you know i had a very tame teenage you know years some people have go super wild and I joke about it. I'm like well my crazy years are still coming you know still still young <laughs> yeah. um, and you know I do maybe it's a blessing and sometimes I live in anticipating suffering anticipated suffering I'm like I know the world is full of suffering I know it'll come maybe that's not the best way to live <laughs> in that sense of like if my time will come why are you sure. seeking the suffering because <laughs> <laughs> I know it's there and I think that there is a you know when i talk about emotions my first series talked about these very nuanced kind of emotions that almost felt like whispers and i remember one of the first ones i drew was when you feel guilty for the good things in your life mm-hmm. so <laughs> not to say that mm. how do i explain it i think i just grew up as a bit of a sensitive kid so even though i was protected and even though i felt the sense of safety and you know nothing super tragic has happened to me you know there's always this feeling of like ah i i feel almost like guilty that out of all this good blessings in my life or things that have happened or just being sensitive to others and anyway i'm going on a little bit of a tangent but just to say that uh, yeah yeah there is some sense of like yeah i haven't really experienced life i don't know what to make of that um well you're still just young you'll have a lot to yeah, so don't worry <laughs> <laughs> yeah i should be careful what i ask for it <laughs> no but i i think it's a beautiful thing it's it's really your good fortune um mm. uh, like the gita says maybe you've experienced your struggle in a previous life and now you've been blessed with something and I think it'll still that. come. <laughs> but you well you know the insecurity for me comes that I talk so much about mental health and mental wellness and it's something that I do think is important. And then sometimes I wonder, you know, I I, I haven't experienced it to such a strong degree that what makes me qualified to make drawings on this and speak to it about others. And I'm so not sure, but I do think like you said that we don't have to experience things firsthand to really know about it. It's what I would like to think. still somehow the, the work comes out of me which is ironic because when i was a kid it's not like i felt anything super intensely or i wasn't even so connected to my emotions as a kid like i don't know anything about emotions so i just find it interesting that that i draw about it now <laughs> so i take it as whatever it is it is what it is let me share it while i have it um but definitely i mean this could we can even talk about imposter syndrome and things like that of mm. when you claim to be something and you <laughs> put that out there it can bring up a lot of mm. a lot of feelings of like am i really the, is it really proper of me to talk about these subjects what do i know about life that's kind of what it comes down to like this person has suffered this person has gone through things i haven't like who am i to pro, you know proclaim myself as some kind of like mental health artist and things like that but Anyway, I like to be very honest about these things because I don't think it's good to just, you know, it's so easy to call ourselves like mental health guru and artist expert extraordinaire and I don't feel like I'm any of those things and I like to be very frank about that and yet 
I feel like somehow I have an ability. So it's some kind of mix of like being very real. Like I don't have qualification for any of this stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about. I've barely experienced life. And also like somehow I have some kind of ability that people appreciate and I can create. So let me still do that while feeling insecure. And that is the sweet spot, you know, to just to still kind of show up and do what you can, even if you feel like, who am I to do this? Mm. I really like what you said about the imposter syndrome because I experienced that. Um, I think you know, well, yeah, you know about it. I got scammed in November. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that that experience was a little bit traumatic. And I started to think about all aspects of life as, you know, potential scams and <laughs> fraudsters. And I started to develop an issue even with like motivational speakers and stuff. <laughs> so that, that was an interesting thing um, because sometimes you, you see like all this stuff thrown out. You see all these quotes, uh, motivational talks, all these adverts that come up on YouTube. You're like, what are these guys talking about? Do they even have any idea, you know? And then in what I'm trying totally. to share, yeah. Am I doing the exact same thing as the people that I'm criticizing right now? Mm. And I was like, mm. yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I was like, how can I be mm. more oh, honest gosh. about it? And then as I started to be more honest about it, I was like, oh, no, now my content is way too depressing. And maybe it needs to be a bit more fun, <laughs> more, more enthusiastic. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting so, so yeah it's it's um yeah that's that's a whole another discussion but I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that yeah mm, I like what you said about like the way you even became doubtful of all like the motivational speakers and things and but then you kind of reflected it back on yourself and you said like where is my motivation you know how sincere mm -hmm. am I about this I think that's a real great testimony to your own sincerity. And I actually think that's really healthy. So imposter syndrome is an interesting thing because we're so quick to want to get rid of it. Oh, you're not, a, you're amazing. Like, like amp yourself up and that's good. Like we should have that confidence, but I think imposter syndrome tells us something really valuable. And I think it's good to pause with that feeling for a bit before we're like, oh, let me just, you know, yeah, everything positive. Let me shoo aside that, that self-criticism. I think there's something there and I think it can be really wise to ask yourself, why am I feeling a sense of imposter syndrome? Why is it that I feel like I'm not qualified to you know, create my content or share my art? Mm. And, and you know, we are of course enough, we are, it is good to share, but I think, I think when we can examine those questions, it makes us just that much more genuine and sincere, you know, because it means that we wanna cut aside all the BS, we wanna be real and so, I, for me, imposter syndrome is, I mean, from a spiritual perspective, we kind of all are imposters in a way. I don't know if that makes sense. We're kind of all driven by our egos and stuff like that. And yet we still show up, if that makes sense. So the showing up part is kind of a spiritual experience. If you are religious or you have a sense of God, you're kind of like, okay, God, like work through me. Maybe I'm an imposter. Maybe I'm not qualified, but let that sense of disqualification kind of ground me in some kind of humility yeah. but let me still show up let me still do it if you say oh i'm an imposter i can't do this and then you're blocked and you just don't create anymore and you're just saying i'm done that's kind of still egocentric it's still you're still blocking yourself and it's just not helping anyone and i think that's kind of the definition of humility it's like okay i'm doubting my sincerity it's a little tough but like 
okay, Lord, like do something through me. Let me still serve in some way. I think that is when you get to a place of like more grounded humility. Thank you so much for that. Again, <laughs> I keep on thanking you, but yeah, this, this is really great. I think this is one of those uh, podcasts that I'm going to listen to a couple of times just, just for myself. Whenever yeah. I'm down, this, this has been like a little therapy session for me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But for me I, too, actually. My, my takeaway from that was showing up. I think that's such a key word. And I might even yeah. make that the title of this. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I, I think like that's that. been my, my journey too, you know, in creating this 100 days. And like I even shared a little of my own insecurity of like, who am I to share 100 days of emotions? What emotions? Mm. You know, people are always saying, could you create this in a dark time in your life? And I mean, there were ups and downs for sure. I actually created it in a time where I was in like my first serious relationship. And that always comes with lots of ups, lots of downs, things like that. But at the same time, you know, we it's so easy to compare everything about ourselves, even the bad things. And I compare my sufferings to others. And I was like, I didn't go through that. Who am I to create art about mental health? I've never even been to like a therapist in my life. You know, I'm just a fraud, you know, all these things. And maybe just sit with that feeling am I a fraud okay what if I am okay that sucks but you know what okay you're in it but don't let it drag you down because when you drag you it down it's still ego it's kind of like your ego is just using it as a way to stop yourself and to and to paralyze yourself a little bit and and real humility is like courageous it's like okay wow this sucks I want to stop but okay like Lori Krishna Allah Buddha whatever like <laughs> Um, I want to be sincerely an artist. I want to serve in some way, like inspire me. I don't do this at all often enough, but as I'm saying it, it's kind of a revelation of the 100 Day Project is really that kind of thing of 100 days of showing up of like, wow, I really don't want to do this today or oh my God, I don't feel like an artist or screw all of this. Um, and yet I think the process is transformational. Let me commit to the process. How am I going to show up today? And let that be my offering for today. I want to ask you about showing up in a collaborative spirit, because <clears throat> I think one of the reasons why I've become a jack of all trades is because I love doing everything myself. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I, I love, um, not that I love it, but I think it's an easier experience. I do it not, also. <laughs> and not always the best experience, though. I know that That's coming good, yeah. together in a team, you know, it's like all the little sticks that come together. It's harder to break. It's a, it becomes a much more powerful offering. Tell me about the process of collaboration, working with uh, sometimes difficult individuals. I know you've worked out with like legendary people like Jay Shetty. Uh, you, you did a little project together. I'm sure there was a lot of collaboration that went on at the Bhakti Center. So tell yeah. me a little bit about the, the collaborative uh, spirit what are some of the pros? What are some of the cons? <laughs> and how you can overcome like all these mental stories that we tell ourselves? <laughs> yeah, that's such a great question. I'll be honest, I much more, you know, go to the side of doing it all myself as well because it's easier. And I, I also fire. think, yeah, I <laughs> it's just so much easier. I can do so much. It's crazy. So that way, I might not be the best person to answer this question. But what I have understood is that also different personalities collaborate differently. That's why I really like the Enneagram. Like some people yeah. are very much built to be team builders, like the six and things like that. Anyway, on the Enneagram, it's very much bringing people together, supporting each other, and that's wonderful. 
And then there are people who are very individualistic by nature. The four is a very much an individual and they just like to do things and can kind of thrive in that area. Right. That being said, you can still benefit from collaboration and everything has like its down points. And so for me, although I feel like I can do a lot and that's what I'm doing right now, I'm kind of going solo with my own art business. It's exciting and yet I can't do it alone. Like I still can't really. Um, and I've done other collaborative projects like working with Upbuild to do the Enneagram project was a collaboration. Um, and it was great. You know, it, it can be a little bit feel like more work to go back and forth and figure out a vision and stuff. And, you know, for years we've been wanting to put out a book and it, sometimes it feels like it's never gonna happen. And maybe now it might happen, but it just takes time. And yeah. I, you know, I can easily have thoughts of like, oh, if I just did it myself, it would be ready by now. And yet it just felt like, you know, this wasn't a project I did myself. This mm -hmm. is a project that is so much more complete together. Let me allow it to take its time. So some patience is required. Um, the Bhakti Center is totally an example of collaboration that can really empower you or drive you mad because there's so many different people doing things and it just feels so dysfunctional at times. Um, and yet it is what it is because of all the people together. So I think collaboration is just one of those things that will help you grow more as a person. <laughs> you can do a lot by yourself, but will you really like grow in that sense of like learning relationships, learning patience, learning to like see each other's perspectives. Um, so that's there too. And, and recently I've been doing a lot of teaching and that's just been so interesting because you're, you're with people and I realized I could not do the teaching that I'm doing unless I got that constant feedback. So I've built courses right. since then and I'm trying to build another one. And it was all done by like interviewing my students who've taken classes with me and just like literally asking them questions. What are you looking for? What do you want? And so that has taught me a lot too. Like I, I'm not this genius just gonna sit in the corner of my room and come up with content. It comes by engaging with people and asking questions and talking to people. So that's just been very interesting as well. I, I wanna echo what you said <clears throat> in terms of getting things done quicker on your own. Uh, I had that experience when I was really young in, in the Gurukul that I went to, the, the monastery, they had this group system for getting all the services done. So mm -hmm. you had like four groups and you would rotate services so that you wouldn't get bored. So one week you'd be like cleaning toilets, next mm -hmm. week you'd be like taking care of the cows, the week after cooking. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they, they made me a group leader for a while and and they sort of gave up on me because uh, I basically did everything myself I found that quicker than trying to chase up all the kids that oh, no. were, you know nine yeah. years old you're like come on guys stop playing come yeah, yeah. you know sweep the floor I just found it yeah. a lot easier to just do it myself and if someone um felt inspired by that then they could come join me Oftentimes that were thankful, they're like, thank you so much, Balaram. We love you as a group leader. You're doing everything. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on, there's, there's a lot of talk right now about collaborative spirit versus, uh, let's see if I can pronounce this right, hierarchical. Um, mm -hmm. What's the importance of sort of everyone being equal in a team? or having someone that's really directing that project. Uh, I, I can see the benefits in terms of like, having, for example, Radhanath Swami as a guru figure for the Bhakti Center, like 
I, I can imagine there's less arguments if if there's like mm -hmm. one person that you look up to. What are what are your thoughts about that? Mm, yeah, at least in that kind of organizational structure, I'm not sure if I'm the most experienced in it, but from like a a principle, I think the collaborative spirit is so much more about like the relationships and. And like we said earlier, the process over the results, because when you were doing things yourself, it was result oriented. Let me just finish it and get the task done. But right. I think the value of the group, you know, the group uh, structure was let's together have an experience and kind of get to know each other and just have these memories together and, and get something done. So the getting it done is secondary, you know, to like us being together. Mm. Um, and I think it's similar, like at the Bhakti Center, it's not so hierarchical, like Randaswami is, is um, there's still arguments even with him there, but he's more of like the overhead inspirational figure. So at least there's someone to always kind of like look, we can look towards for guidance and direction, but he kind of lets us to figure out how we want to work together. And at least when I was there, it was a lot more collaborative in the sense that like, we're all in this together, we're like one team. Mm. and and sometimes it would feel like it would take forever to get something done because to get everyone to agree to explain things and yet there was something about it that is like doing it together is one it's purifying in the sense that like mm. it's hard but I mean if anything you kind of like learn to what's the word kind of polish your ego a bit or or something like that like um you end up it kind of does a number yeah what was that you end up growing from the experience exactly yeah so i think that that is a big part of it but it reminds me of this great quote i don't know it verbatim but it's like you know you can you can get something done quickly yourself but together you can go further it was something on the sense that you know you'll you'll go quick and and you'll go a distance and then for with a group it'll go a long time but it'll go so much further so i think that's kind of the idea that if we want that instant gratification, <laughs> do it yeah, it's quick, do it yourself, you'll feel good, you'll get that post out. And if you're doing it for the long-term like legacy of a, a larger project, then you do it together. Yeah, and I think about the, the story of the turtle and the rabbit, who mm. the rabbit just thought about getting to the end, so, so he crossed, but then he couldn't get over the water. So in a collaborative spirit, you'll have different talents that come together and definitely in, in like my field and filmmaking, like someone's really good at art, someone else is really good at effects, someone else is really good at sound, someone lighting and to be perfect in everything, then you'd be called God, right? <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. And I think there's a skill in just knowing how to engage people. Like some people are just born mm. to do that, to manage and to like build relationships. And that's such a great skill. Kind of like a conductor. When I think about it, you have an orchestra. Is, is someone going to do the whole orchestra themselves? Or you can have a bunch of people not knowing what to do, but then you have that conductor who is guiding everyone. And I think that's just a really beautiful vision of what could be possible. You know, how, how do we be the conductor, you know, to bring people of different skills. And it's a, you know, it's also a good thing is that as artists that desire to do everything ourselves can have a little bit of ego of like, I am the center, I'm the most important. And doing mm -hmm. things in a team actually removes you from being in the center. Hey, it's not about me, it's about the team. We're doing something bigger than myself. Like I just want to bring people together and manage, take care of you guys. So I think there's a, some a lot of benefit in that too. Wow, I love that. 
Well, I know that time is limited and I have two questions for you. Okay, let's go for it. <laughs> so I'll just ask them both and then you can decide how much time to give to it. Sure. <laughs> I have a question uh, with regards to the whole production process. If someone's looking to um, perhaps they're an artist like yourself and they, or they might be a photographer, they might be a writer, they might be thinking about putting a book out. You've done that. Um, you've um, mm. you've created stuff on Instagram. Like you said, you've engaged with your audience. You've seen what they wanted. You've started to do workshops. You've um, published uh, your book, your deck of cards, mm. your calendar, mm. the whole printing process, the whole getting it to people. Now you have to sell it. Uh, so that's one question about the whole process. And then the other question is, yeah, just, just to end off with a little bit of inspiration in terms of creativity itself. And if you want, we, we can use this theme of the 100 day project, uh, just, just how to get out of bed on a day mm -hmm. that, that you don't want to get up, how to show up and, and be a little bit creative. And, and then we can end with that. Mm, yeah, this is nice. Um, the first one on the process of printing and production, it can be a bit of a technical question and answer. So I don't know how much detail to go into it. Um, I don't know if I'm also the best example because it is like a large, it's a very large thing to print and produce your whole thing. And it was fairly easy for me just because of I just had the right situation and the right connections. And I being a graphic designer is just really helpful. If anyone out there is you know, looking at a career change or anything, like it's just such a great skill set to have. So I'm grateful for that because it was just so easy to design my own products and prepare it for print. And then I had a friend of a friend overseas who does printing, mm. um, was able to kind of get it shipped over. Um, yeah, my dad has a warehouse, so I kind of store it there. So yeah. in that sense, I, I don't want to just put it like, it was very easy for me. I mean, I was able to use many skill sets and, and do that. And I'm grateful for that. Um, so, but anyone really looking into it, that I would say that there's just many ways to do your own printing, to get your own stuff out there nowadays. Um, there's print on demand, there's different companies that can do it for you. Um, yeah, don't be overwhelmed by the process. Just know that there's ways to, to go about it. Um, mm -hmm. I will just tell you one last thing is I've always had a dream of having my own like kind of like publication company, like for my friends and devotees and spiritual, you know, I because I have, I know just because I've thought about it for years because I have the connections to get things printed overseas. I am like a book designer myself. I have friends who are editors and I was like, we just need a small team. Again, it'll take a lot of collaboration. And That's then like we can- entrepreneurship for you. Exactly, yeah. And then I have so many friends who have amazing things, but they don't have the audience for it or they don't know how to put it together. And so, I love packaging things. So they'll send me, you know, it's kind of, we take them on as a publisher, we produce their work, we send it out, then we take a cut. It's a whole thing. Um, but that is for another time. For Anyway, if years you, ago- If you want to do that, then then I'm happy to help in any way. Yeah, exactly. So this could be a future <laughs> collaboration. Yeah, I've always wanted to do like a magazine, a beautiful printed magazine and have friends submit articles from all over the world. Anyway, we can go through it, but- <laughs> There are possibilities of what could happen and, and printing is something that is always exciting to literally like make something physical. I think there's a lot of power to that. Yeah. 
Yeah, so anyway, um, an ending note of something inspiring. I might need you to repeat that question again. <laughs> what should I say? <laughs> so so the question was, was centered around um, the 100-day project. Uh, that, that's something very practical mm -hmm. that people can do right now. And there are a lot of days, um, at least for guys, <laughs> where, you, where you don't want to get out of bed. You're like, forget. Oh, I'm it. sure for girls I mean, too. Yeah, you know, uh, I I often uh, have this picture of like husbands being a couch potato, just like watching mm -hmm. TV all day. So that's why I said guys. That, uh, yeah, that's yeah. a bit um, stereotypical. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, so. We, we, we spoke about showing up and showing up to your creative process. Uh, so yeah, just, just a little ending note on that. That would be really great mm. from, from yeah. personal experience. Yeah, definitely. The power in showing up. It's so interesting because I, I also don't want to be just another motivational speaker. <laughs> you can do anything. I know Toby, Tony Robbins is great, but also too much, <laughs> too much for me to handle. And I think it's because we have to always just be sensitive to like the nuance of what we're experiencing in life. Um, not all of us can just do it and just show up and we can aspire to that, but like just, I think just being aware, where are we in our life right now? Are we yeah. like mentally exhausted? Are we feeling depressed? Are we just tired? I mean, it's been like a year of the pandemic and just everything. So even when I share my art, I want to be sensitive to like, I'm not telling everyone should do this. Right now I have the situation where I can do and pour a lot of time into it. Other people might be looking at what I'm doing and maybe they're getting discouraged and they're like, I can never do that. So what I want to tell people wherever you're at in your life is to just is to just become aware and give yourself grace of wherever you're at and to and to just allow for that space. You know, there's always that space between who you are and who you want to become. And we want to like cross over that immediately. I want to become this, you know, the, Tony Robbins said I could and this and that. And yet there, it, there's a bit of a journey. And so I think just, you know, like step by step, knowing where you're, as long as you know where you want to go and, and that is kind of like there as a goal and you can just have patience in the process because we're not going to just get there immediately. There's a lot that will, and different people are in different places in the dress. Some people are all the way there and it'll look like, why did they have so much success so quickly? And I'm really here struggling. So I think we can only just kind of know you know, very personally, what is our process for me? What, what is it that I really need in my life right now? And so I'm just kind of telling us to give ourselves grace at the moment. That's kind of all I can think about just the year into the pandemic and everything happening that we all really prize productivity over presence mm -hmm. and maybe switching it around to seeing how can I just be more of a present human being? How can I be more with myself? How can I be more accepting of myself and accepting of others? And and just slow the F down. <laughs> Honestly, just like chill, just be who you are. You don't need to be that, you know, Balaram times a hundred or Rukmini, the, you know, the next incarnation of productivity. It's like, just, uh, so I don't know, something about presence <laughs> over productivity is my final, my final thing. I really love that because the the title I was going with initially for the podcast was the Being Present podcast. Oh, nice. but then I thought I'm I'm no I had similar thoughts to you like yeah. I'm, I'm no mindfulness teacher like that's yeah. more of that sort of path. What am I actually more into? 
But I love mm -hmm. that you said that and sort of my takeaway was to like be kind to yourself and to like not force things as well. Yeah. That really came across. And, and another thing in, in terms of success, like I'm, I'm starting to reflect upon how fame isn't that great and, and how much suffering comes along with it. Interesting, and, yeah. And my sort of thing right now is if one person likes it, especially if it's the right person, like yeah. sometimes it's nice to get a nod from not just anyone, but someone you really appreciate. Like whenever I get mm -hmm. a comment from Jonaby, for example, we've spoken a lot about her. Yeah. Then I know that I've, I've done something right here. And then, and then if, um, not that I'm seeking approval from specific right. people, but um, just, just a specific group of friends, because I know that they're going to be on, on more on the critique side of things, then, mm. then I know I'm doing a good thing. So yeah, I don't um, know if, you, if there's anything that I haven't asked, if you wanted to. No, this has been that. so good. I mean, I'm, thank you for having me on i am so impressed with just your interviewing skills and your questions like you're a real natural Balaram. this is just like ease of conversation was fantastic and we talked about so many good things i mean i in the beginning i loved everything we we're talking about social media and just like you said fame isn't really what it's all amped up to be and and i really hope that we can get in a place where we're feeling even more satisfied with these smaller more meaningful communities Again, social media is designed so that we're trying to get the biggest number. But I think like what you're doing is so meaningful and, and sometimes it can be lost in the saturation of images and videos, but it doesn't diminish the value of it. So I just hope that in time we can all find our, our sanghas, our small little sanghas to like keep each other inspired and not feel like we need this big, large net of thousands of people. Like We don't need that. We need like 10, 20 good people who are just with us and, and just let's keep that going. Yeah. Thank you so much for Kamini. I really appreciate Aww. you as a person. I appreciate your art. Thank you for being a part of the Creative Sangha today. Um, and, and I hope that um, we can have more conversations in the future. Yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> if people want to follow you, um, I know that you're rocking Rooksy. Did I pronounce that? Yeah, right? exactly. On, on Instagram. And then uh, you've also got an exciting newsletter out that people can sign up yeah, to. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. in, in your, it's, um, yeah, so how can they find that? Just my link in bio or on my website, there should be a thing for the newsletter and it'll take you to the landing page. Wonderful. And yeah, I, I encourage everyone to, to buy uh, your book, your deck of cards, your calendar. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. So thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Alaram. So